Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. September 19th, Sunday. I know it's uh, airing the next day, but I am just gonna keep it real time for you. Um, I had a pretty good day. Uh, You know, actually the week started out kind of weird. Like when I landed, uh, I just got back from the road. When I landed in um, Los Angeles, uh, I saw news that Norm MacDonald had passed away and Norm Macdonald is like my one of my top three favorite comedians of all time. Like I really looked up to Norm Macdonald um, for his absurd weirdness and his uh, deep sense of privacy and his extraordinary timing as a comedian. Like his his sense of timing is insurpassable, and. Um, I I just found found it heartbreaking to receive that news because I was I'm already mourning another dead comedian friend, and um, yeah, what can I say? You know, like it's it's always sad when a comedian passes away. I think there's nothing sadder than when a comic dies because a comedian was somebody that made us all laugh, right? And um, you know, comics are very sensitive people, and they're very um, introspective for the most part and uh very lonely people too so uh for me it's heartbreaking when a comic dies and you know it was just insane how norm Macdonald kept the fact that he had cancer for almost 10 years like a complete secret just didn't tell anybody and he just passed away very silently that way and um i was very blue on Tuesday when I got back. The other reason why I was so blue is because uh, the US government, or at least our local state, they have gotten rid of the uh, the pandemic stipend that they were offering in conjunction with our um, unemployment checks. And that basically halved my unemployment. And uh, that puts me in a financial pickle. I mean, no lie, you know, and uh, initially Tuesday night, I was just kind of reeling in anxiety and panic um, along with the grieving because I had the memorial to attend the next day and all this shit. Uh, But I just knuckled down. I knew what to do. You know, I know how to cope with these kinds of things now. Like I just, what do I do? I meditate, right? I practice my EFT. I journal. I do my oracle deck. You know, I do some illustrations. I do yoga. I exercise, right? And uh, all of these things, it just, in, within two days, I was out of it. I was out of the funk. And honestly, like, I was really surprised at my ability to come out of that funky state so quickly because two years ago this time this this um around this time two years ago i was also in a financial pickle and you know at that time i was really fucked because i had no savings um huge debt 
my school was fucking me up financially and I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. Like I was really, really messed up and I was just so frozen and immobilized in my anxiety and panic at the time that I just didn't know what to do. But um, like now I'm not like that. It's kind of a miracle. It's it's kind of miraculous that I'm not like that anymore and that I still feel um, good, that I still feel secure and okay, you know? And um, this past Thursday was actually my last day of uh, insured therapy because my school insurance has now run out and now I'm on the um, the state California healthcare plan, which is like, you know, very, very, very minimal. So I won't be able to afford therapy anymore. But um, like, I remember saying this to my therapist, which is very new. Like I'm, I've never been able to say this before. And I said to her, I was like, when I was having my anxiety attacks, I asked myself, why do I feel anxious if I know that my work is going to pan out? Like I'm writing my books. I know that's going to work out. So why am I anxious? I am doing comedy all the time. I know that's going to work out. Why am I anxious? I'm applying for jobs every single week. I know that's going to work out. So why am I anxious? And I've never been able to say that before to my therapist. My therapist would say that to me all the time, but I was just, you know, I would just be like, whatever, like, eh. but it, it's changing. So I, I'm sort of taking note of these changes and it's been good for me. So I'm very um, happy to know that I've made progress. Um, and this particular therapist, like she's been remarkable. Like I, I've been in cognitive behavioral therapy for like 12 or 13 years. And um, this particular therapist that I've been working with for two years, like she, she and I made leaps and bounds in terms of progress with my health and I really have to give her credit. And, you know, she, she was telling me how she appreciated me as a client and a patient because I would show up and I would always be receptive to the things that she would say and I would go and put them into practice. Like I would apply them. And she said that, you know, not all patients do that and that I was somebody who would listen and go and practice and, and apply and do the work. And she says she appreciated that. And, you know, I, I, I was just like so emotional on Thursday because, you know, this past week, the past like two, three weeks, I suppose, was just like an emotional kind of thing for me. But um, uh, I was crying a lot when my therapist was saying this because, you know, I just felt such deep, deep, immense gratitude towards her. Like I was, I feel very lucky to have worked with her and I am so grateful for all the progress that I made with this therapist. So um, if any of you guys are, you know, feeling, uh, I don't know, stuck in your kind of emotional and mental chaos, then just know that there is always hope, okay? Like cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy, that worked for me. I don't think therapy is the only thing that, that helps you make big changes. You have to also do the work. Like I meditate daily and I do um, exercises to help with my mental and emotional stability. So that is also necessary. I think some element of spirituality also helps. Uh, so you have to kind of triangulate between these three things in order to um, see a lot of progress. But I'm just saying that there is hope, okay? Because I used to feel like I'm just trapped with this kind of brain and I'll, I'll, I'll never be happy, but that's just not the case.
Like I am very grateful to myself even for having made so much progress. Um, and you know what, today, like I had a, I had a pretty decent day. Like I woke up kind of early. I went for uh, a long walk at the park and I played some wall tennis for about an hour and I got a little bit of writing done and I'm feeling good. Oh, and I also met Bobby Lee last night. <laughs> yeah, I met Bobby Lee last night. He was very nice. Uh, I was at the comedy store to um, watch my friends do some sets. And uh, Bobby Lee was there at the patio smoking a cigarette. So I went up to him and I said, hi, I'm Grace. And he was like, hi, Grace. Uh, Grace what? I was like, Grace Jung. And he was like, Grace Chung? I was like, no, it's Grace Jung. He's like, oh, are you Chinese? I was like, no, I'm Korean, motherfucker. And he's like, oh, okay, like Ken Jung. I was like, yeah, like Ken Jung, but I spell my name with a J-U-N-G, not J-E-O-N-G, like Ken Jung does. And he said, yeah, I like the J-U-N-G spelling better. And I said, thank you. I agree. So it was just nice to meet a comedian that I really admire and that I love, uh, whose podcast I was listening to obsessively, Tiger Belly. I was a huge fan. Um, I'm kind of laying low on other podcasts right now. I'm only listening to WTF at the moment. But um, it was cool to meet Bobby Lee at the comedy store last night. I'll just put it that way. And uh, you know what? Like good things are kind of flowing in. Like since last night, like I got two emails that were promising and I felt good. And tonight I was at the Hollywood Improv and I, you know, did two, I was sitting through two mics. I was there since 5 p.m. and I was, I left around 10. So I was there for five hours and I got to go up both times. And also I got three drink tickets for free. What? Like that was awesome. I also got like a food ticket, which I didn't use. Like I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't eat fried foods. So I was just like, I have to give these away. So I gave them away to my friends and um, you know, I had, I had two great sets. Uh, I laughed a lot. It was fun to see people go up tonight and I had an awesome evening. So I'm happy to share that with you. Uh, thank you for indulging me. Today, I'm going to talk about a show called Dear My Friends, and it is written by one of the best K-drama writers of all time, No Hee-kyung, okay? No Hee-kyung is known for writing all kinds of amazing shows. She, she's, she's a little, you know, she's a, a little intense sometimes, but um, I, I like her shows. They're, they're kind of cheesy sometimes, but I, I like them. The one show that's not too cheesy that I really appreciated, but I don't think it did very well, is called Live, which is on Netflix. I remember talking about Live in the episode where Shin Ho Lee was our guest. Check out Live. Uh, she also wrote... Uh, it's Okay, That's Love, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, which I remember talking about when Connor Shin was a guest. She also wrote That Winter, The Wind Blows, which is a super cheesy drama, but it stars some big, big names. So it has Song Yi-kyo in it and Choi In-sung in it. It's super cheesy. It's super, super ridiculous. And it's a blast. So check that show out if you haven't. She wrote a terrible show called Padam Padam. Um don't watch it. It sucks. It's like the worst show ever. She wrote a show called Worlds Within, which is actually about the K-drama industry. And Song Yi-kyo is in it. And Hyunbin is in it. And they used to date after this show. So if you want to see a fun tabloidy kind of Korean drama written by the amazing Noh Hee-kyung, check out Worlds Within. Um, so, dear my friends, Noh Hee-kyung, 
this is a very personal kind of drama. Uh, a lot of Noi Hee-kyung's shows have this like mother-daughter conflict thing that goes on. And this is like full on. What I loved about this show is that you have like some of the greats, some of the greatest Korean drama and film actors of all time in this show. So you have you have the Oscar award winning actress Yoon Yeo-jung, okay? So she is in this show. You have Ko Do-shim. Oh my god, Ko Do-shim, she is like this beast queen beast of a a K-drama actress, okay? Like if you want a scary mother, Kodushim is the one, all right? And then you have the the fun, playful, goofy, hilarious, um, almost a stereotypical ajumma actress. Okay, you have Namunhi. She is also in this drama. And Kim Heja is in this drama. If you are a fan of Bong Juno's movies, then you know who Kim Heja is because she was the star in the film Mother. Okay. And uh all of this is kind of wrapped up with the the youngest actress in this particular show. Uh, she's the youngest because she's like, you know, in her 40s and everybody else on this show, they're like in their 70s or 80s. So Ko Hyun-jung is in this show. I don't know if you guys know this about Ko Hyun-jung, but Ko Hyun-jung used to be a uh, Miss Korea um, lady how do you call it? A pageant star? I don't know. But she, Ko Hyun-jung, she's, she's a big deal. She's a big deal in South Korea. Okay. So she was a, I don't think she won. She did not win. It was 1989. She was runner up in Miss Korea, but like, you know, she's got the bod, she's got the look. So she, she just started uh, working as a model and an actress pretty early on. And one of the biggest shows of all time in the mid 90s was called Sandglass or Murishige. And she was a huge star in that show. It was like, it was like one of those shows where everybody in Korea would just close close up shop and go home so that they can watch Sandglass, you know, broadcasting live every single night. It was that popular. It, it's like one of these classic dramas that people to this day continuously like parody, they continuously reference. It's like one of those shows. It's like, you know, you got to watch The Godfather, right? Well, you also got to watch Sandglass in Korea. So sh she was a star in that. And um, she was like quickly one of the highest paid actresses in Korean television in the 90s. Uh, but she married this guy. <laughs> she married this uh, Korean chaebol named Jung Yongjin in the mid 90s. He is a billionaire. He is the CEO of the Shinsege Group. If you don't know what Shinsege is, like it's just this huge shopping mall conglomerate in Korea. And he's like this billionaire dude so she got married to him but they went through a very ugly divorce in the early 2000s okay oh and, and here's the other thing Jung, as soon as she married this guy she retired from acting right because it's like she doesn't need to work i mean she's a billionaire she doesn't, she doesn't need to work but you know she punched out a couple of kids and then she um got a divorce and it was a very ugly divorce and this is how fucking petty korean chebos are okay so Ko Hyun-jung is like the ex-wife of Shin Se-ge group, right? So what do they do? They ban Ko Hyun-jung from ever being a model for a Shin Se-ge group um, product ever again. 
Like if there is a product, let's say like, I don't know, um, what's a Korean brand of like makeup? Like is, is SK2 Korean? I don't know Korean beauty products very well. Let's say there's like a, like an SK2 product. Okay. Let's say Kuyan Jung happens to be the model that's endorsing this product. Okay. Shinsegae group would say, we will not, we will not sell that product in our shopping mall. Like that's how fucking, and this is like for life. She is banned for life. Like, that's how petty and intense Shinsega group is. Like, man, just like, don't fuck with Korean chebas or fuck with them, whatever, you know? Like, I mean, they're so petty. Like, people with money are so petty sometimes. Like, ugh, fuck you, Shinsega group. Uh, but then, Kuyan Jung, she actually comes out okay in the end, all right? So, in 2009, she is the, uh, the how do you say, the evil queen in this show called Queen's Handok which is like this epic period drama about uh, the first female king of Korea. Yeah, like there was no concept of queen, really. Like you wouldn't have a queen who's reigning, okay? No, she became a Korean king, but she was a woman. So they called her as Hundok Yeowang. Yeowang means female king, all right? Wang Bi is queen. Wang Bi is queen, like you're married to the Wang the king but yoang that means female king so that was fucking badass she didn't play queen's hunduck she played uh, uh mishi which was the evil lady but she was like amazing in that drama so that came out in 2009 and that just like made her popularity skyrocket again and she was doing pretty good and then <laughs> koyeonjung got into a, a little bit of trouble because she was on this uh show where um i guess she like hit somebody in the face like it, this this show called return came out in 2018 and um Ko Hyun-jung played the the attorney in that drama, right? But then like I don't know, like maybe 5 or 5 or 6 episodes in, she got replaced by another actress because she like hit somebody or she kept arguing with the producer. So it was just like really awkward to see a completely different actress playing the same character and watching that series continue. It was just really bizarre. Um but anyway, Ko Hyun-jung is in Dear My Friends and she plays this translator woman who is uh dealing with uh, a, an ex-boyfriend who got into an accident and he became disabled, so he's in a wheelchair. But Ko Hyun-jung's character's uncle is also a disabled man, and Ko Hyun-jung's mother hates the fact that her brother is disabled and tells Ko Hyun-jung's character never to date anybody who is ill. So that's why Ko Hyun-jung's character breaks up with Choi Sung's character. Choi Sung plays the the very sexy uh, guy who is dating her. But um, this show has that theme of disability embedded in there. Okay, so disability is this shameful thing in Korean society, and and this show critiques that. It critiques the mentality that people have or the judgment and the discrimination people have when it comes to people with disabilities, okay? And you got to ask this question, why? Why is Korean society anti-disability, right? Like, of course, you know, you could ask this question more generally with any society. Why is Why do most societies hide people with disabilities? In the case with Korea, it's very specific, all right? There's this book written, uh, I forget the scholar's name, but it's called Curative Violence, and it's about the history of disability in South Korea. And uh, 
South Korea was a very poor country, right? Like not too long ago, just a few decades ago, it was this third world torn up war torn country, right? And what did you have back then? You had a lot of people with disabilities, okay? You had people who were shell shocked, you had people who had lost limbs, you had people who were obviously many of them had died, okay? So you had a lot of intergenerational trauma as well. So you had all these problems. And South Korea did everything they could to reconstruct out of the ashes of the war and hide all of that ugly past, the past with uh, no limbs, the past with uh, some kind of some form of disability. They wanted to hide all of it so that they could emulate this first world developed nation status that they presently do project. But what do you what do you have a, a high a high rate of suicide when it comes to parents of disabled children, right? Like there's a lot, there's, there have been a lot of cases where uh, mothers with disabled children will go and kill their kid and go and kill themselves. Like that has been a huge issue in South Korea. And um, a lot of activists, a lot of people in spiritual work, like religious, religious institutions, they're working with these kinds of families to say, no, like disability is not something to be ashamed of. People who are differently abled are just differently abled. And that is all. And, you know, South Korea is making those efforts, but discrimination is, of course, still very high. It's a huge problem. So this theme of disability is highly present on this show. And then you have this question of, okay, what about being an elderly person and being discriminated against for that, right? And that's a constant thing because everybody in this show, they are playing people in their 70s for the most part, people who are very ill, people who are losing their memory, okay, suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's, people who are not as strong anymore. And then the other big theme is this exploration of toxic Korean masculinity, okay? And I talk about this with today's guest, Glenn Bolton, who is very, very funny. He's he's also very smart and I like I like a lot of the things that he says. I don't quite agree with everything that he says, but I appreciate his perspectives, uh, especially in our conversation around uh, masculinity. Masculinity, as a lot of you guys already know, is something I study uh, as a scholar and researcher. It is a huge part of my dissertation. And, um, you know, this question of what makes masculinity toxic is a very important one. Where does this word toxic masculinity even come from in the discourse, right? Why is masculinity toxic and when is it toxic? Okay. Toxic masculinity occurs when the expectation of a man from his society doesn't quite cohere with his own values. All right. So a man has values such as wanting to protect people who are weaker, wanting to protect uh, women and children, standing up for good, standing up for good rights, um, being a good person, being a decent citizen. Those are his values. But then his actions based on the expectations of other men in that society winds up making him toxic, right? Like go and bully somebody, go and join, I don't know, some violent group and, and mess people up. This is a really intense drama. Um, there are a lot of trigger warnings, okay? There's domestic violence in this drama. Um, there's a death of infants in this drama. Um, there's a suicide attempt in this drama. It's a very inten emotionally intense drama, but I watched it like four times and I remember bawling my eyes out every single time I watched it because um, it's very well written. It's really well written. And 
everybody is just a veteran actor, so their performances were just stellar. Okay, uh, Shin Gu's performance playing Kim Seok Hyun was especially moving. All right, so really, I really strongly recommend this show if you're, I don't know, wanting to get some intense kind of thing. All right, I'm so exhausted. Um, I'm gonna end that here. Uh, let's talk to the amazing, very, very funny Glenn Bolton. You know, the great irony about Hollywood is, like, people who don't live in Hollywood, like, don't live in California, they don't know what a shithole Hollywood can be. <laughs> but oh it's, my god, <laughs> it's like considered this glamorous, beautiful place. <laughs> yeah, like it. It's kind of wild. Like when I first when I first came to LA, I was like, yeah. "Wow, wow!" Like I'm going to Hollywood. Like <laughs> we're we're getting off the 101, like by like where the Hollywood Bowl is. Yeah. And there's a guy walking up the exit ramp with a samurai sword, shirtless. Yeah. I'm like, yo, <laughs> is no one's going to even acknowledge that? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. That's, yeah, that's Hollywood. Uh, when I was in downtown LA, like I was just walking around with like two friends of mine. There was a, a man completely naked, no shirt, no pants, no shoes, no underwear, just butt ass naked and just walking across the street. And there was a, a police officer standing on the other side of the street, just like watching, not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. It, it's insane the amount of things you become desensitized to after being here for a while. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, and, and it goes on both ends of the spectrum, too. Like, I'm just as desensitized to seeing Mark Wahlberg going down the street in a Rolls Royce as I mm -hmm. am someone sleeping on that same street corner. I was like, yep, yeah, well, this is just, yeah, it's just Hollywood. Like, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. It is fucking wild and weird. Yeah. It is wild and weird to like witness that extreme discrepancy. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, coming here straight from a place like Kansas where you don't really see either of those two things. Yeah. You know, you're just like, whoa, <laughs> like what the hell is this place? Can you uh, lower um, the volume on your laptop just a little bit? Cause I'm getting a tiny bit of audio leak, um, but make sure you can still hear me. Just lower the sound on your laptop just a little bit. You can still hear me okay? All right. That's good. That's a lot better. Oh, dang. You can still hear me, though? Yeah, I can still hear you. All right, sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be an extreme jump, right? Because like, Kansas is Kansas. I, I know nothing about Kansas, actually. What is that place like? Well, uh, the part of Kansas I grew up in is probably the least like what you would expect from Kansas. Like mm -hmm. when people think Kansas, they think like totally flat. You can just look out your door, see for miles. Mm -hmm. There's no trees, mm -hmm. no nothing. I'm from northeastern Kansas, so it's not mm -hmm. like mountainous like California, but it's it's kind of hilly and is heavily mm. wooded. Yeah, but uh. As far as just the pace of life, <laughs> totally different. 
Like, yeah. it's not it's not a place where it's hard to get from point A to point B. Uh-huh. There's not as much hustle and bustle, at least not when I lived there. It's probably changed a lot over the last five right. years, but it's just uh, a easy place to just kind of live and, and get by and raise mm-hmm. a family and just mm. keep it chill. Like, you can totally do that there. Yeah. Yeah. And the barbecue wonder... is way better. Oh, yeah. I'll bet. <laughs> I was actually at a, a barbecue thing yesterday. You know, uh, Sean's house, right? We did the show there. Al's show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a big barbecue there. And um, it was like a mess, you know. <laughs> like People brought stuff, but like there was no order. It was just chaos, you know. Uh, everybody ate eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if Al's on the grill, I have faith. He was not on the grill. That uh, is probably the issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you know, Texas, they got pretty good barbecue. It's yes. not like I wouldn't put it up with Kansas City. I might be biased, but <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's edible. It's got flavor interesting. To it for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's interesting that uh, you consider uh, Kansas a rival to Texas in terms of barbecue. It's something I've never heard. Well, this is also coming from somebody who knows very little about Kansas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In all fairness, but yeah, like Kansas City's barbecue Mm. is insane. Like it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I would say it's up there with like New York pizza or you know really uh, California tacos. Like Really? Yeah. That's saying a lot. Okay shit like like what like brisket like what are the what are the goodies that you would expect from a standard everything it depends on where you go okay like if you go to oklahoma joe's or now it's Uh called joe's casey uh Hmm. if you go there you're gonna want to get like the burn-ins like the burn-in sandwich okay which if you're not familiar with uh it's the ends of the brisket that you cut uh, got it and then mm-hmm, chop that mm-hmm. up into little pieces the smoky and charred part okay yeah yeah it's a delicacy like if yeah. you go to joe's casey especially the original location which yeah is in a gas station uh <laughs> okay. there's gonna be a line wrapped all the way around the building oh because they want to get there before they run out of burn ends oh uh, okay okay it's limited yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's it's in pretty high demand. Uh, if you go to Gates, which is like a really old school joint, mm. uh, you really want to go there and get ribs. Okay. Rib's and sausage. Mm. And each location has its own signature dish. Like there's one Gates in town that does the hot wings. If you want hot wings yeah. from Gates, you have to go to that location. Okay. And then yeah, hot each wings. location has their own special dishes. Right well, on. So. Yes. That's usually like the way to go. Like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and they don't have a specialty, they're like, we just have everything. And they have like 50,000 things on the menu. That restaurant usually tastes like shit, you know, but if, (laughs) (laughs) but if they are really good at like one thing and they literally sell just that one thing and maybe like some sides, then, you know, like that's the spot, that's the joint. And they have like a limited stock, you know? So When they run out, they're out. They close and say goodbye. Like that to me is badass. That's how everything should be, right? 
everything should yeah. be like that in my opinion but i mean first you know. off you know that the quality of what you're getting is gonna be high like these people mm -hmm. make this stuff from scratch mm -hmm. and they're doing the whole process they woke up at 4 a.m mm -hmm. to get started like mm -hmm. that's the type of food because you know yes. that's made with love like i'm not trying to with love and care food, but, yeah but yeah love and care yeah they went out to the market picked out what meats they wanted they have a meat purveyor that they know you know yeah love and care does matter a great deal it's like, yeah, it makes me want to move to Kansas now. The barbecue was dope though yesterday. Like, cause um, like I made Korean barbecue. Like, you know, it's like Koreans, it's like a thing, you know? Yeah, I made a uh, bulgogi yesterday and I brought like, it was like a big thing of bulgogi and it's just grilling that and putting it out. And yeah, it was, it was fun. It was nice, but I don't know. Some people brought like soy, like soy sausages and shit. Like, okay. Like, all right, but you know, it's like, come on, like, let's, let's be real. Um, there was this one guy, like he, he was like, oh, I'm a vegetarian. Like what's vegetarian here? And like this Japanese painter, do you know Tomo, Tomo Aki by any chance? No, like so. he's like out there, he's like a spaceman, you know? And his English isn't like, like perfect, but you know, he can still communicate. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that, that's soy. And it wasn't. It wasn't soy like and the guy was eating it and i was like this doesn't feel ethical you know like we need to tell him he's eating an animal yeah and the guy he was like enjoying it and somebody told him and he like just threw it over like the fence and i was like you don't need to throw away the entire sausage you know what i mean like we could have <laughs> eaten the rest of that like just because you don't eat meat like don't fucking throw it away you know into somebody's yard yeah, I mean, I bet, I mean, he was probably thinking to himself, too, like, and especially the time we're living in now, everyone's so paranoid, like, these mm. motherfuckers don't want to eat after me, like. Mm, that's true. Yeah, and he was probably, which, yeah. Which, I mean, you know, even, even before COVID, that would have yeah. been something I would have been on, like, if you're not my girl. I'm probably not going to bite off of a sausage that you just bit off uh, of. I was going to eat it. is a vegetarian, so I don't even have to worry about that. Oh, uh, okay. No, I would have eaten it. I was like, what a douche. It's a whole sausage. It's, like, different from a hot dog, you know? If it's, like, a like a bratwurst or something, like a proper sausage, it's, like, different, man. It takes forever to cook, and I was just annoyed. I was like, what a fucking vegetarian-ass thing to do to throw away a whole sausage. <laughs> right. <laughs> when did right. you move out here from Kansas? uh 2016 all right so about five years now yeah almost exactly five years it'll be five years next month wow that's cool i moved out here in september as well but 2015 so okay so yeah oh man so you're similar up on your six years similar anniversaries yes yeah, yeah. So what was I want to ask you a question like because mm -hmm. I didn't get out I didn't get out to LA for like a year after you what mm. was the scene like to you when you came here like when you first came here when I first came here I didn't really explore much I kind of stayed to myself I was getting my master's degree at the time at UCLA so I was kind of just really focused on that I just kind of stayed within UCLA and was just trying to get 
grounding at UCLA, but it was hard. It was hard for a long time. I don't think I really felt um, some kind of like attachment here until like 2018. Yeah. So I think it took me a while. What about you? Uh, when I first got here, I was in a weird place. Hmm. Like I was trying to learn my way around this new gigantic city. I'd never lived in a city this big before, you know right. what I'm saying? So right. trying to do that and do comedy and maintain a long distance relationship. Uh... It was just not, not ideal. Not wow. Uh, eventually all that shit fell apart, but, uh. Yeah, I mm-hmm. learned a lot. You do mm-hmm. learn a lot. Like, first off, you got to understand the importance of building a community mm-hmm. when you're moving to a new place because mm-hmm. you come here for one thing, but mm-hmm. you got to understand your life is more than just that one thing. And if you don't build a world around that, yeah, then it's all just going to come crumbling down because you have no Mm. support system definitely and i think la is especially like that because it as you say it is a huge city and there's so many pockets you know even within like you know one community for instance like the comedy community right there's so many pockets within that community because it's a huge one and you know it's yeah you have to find your people you got to find the kind of people, the kinds of people who like accept you and understand you, and th- and you feel similarly towards them, yeah, yeah, and and to kind of see through the bullshit too, right? Because like we, said, it is Hollywood, right? A lot of people come here, right? They have an agenda, right? So, kind of figuring out like, okay, like who's real, you know, who's like yeah. willing to be real versus who is just here for Hollywood. Mm. Right, right, right. Like, I, I've tended to gravitate toward the people that'll be like, yo, Glenn, like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like, this is mm. not this is not how to do it. You know what I'm saying? We need to, like, switch this up or, mm. you know what I'm saying? You're not doing as well as you could be. Mm. Like, those type of people that'll be up front with you and, and not sugarcoat shit, but at the same time mm. can sort of communicate that in, like, a grown-up way. Yeah. It's not, you know, abrasive yeah those types of people i value the most because yeah they are really those are the people who are really looking out for your best interests you Mm. don't want you don't want to be around like surrounded by people that are like oh shit okay i see this person blowing up at some point let me just kind of stick around and just you know hey yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. that's cool you know what i'm saying hang by like a Mm. A, a yes man mm-hmm. and be close to you just in hopes of getting mm-hmm. some residual clout at some mm. point. Right. Right. You know? Somebody who's willing to work with you, right? Like give you feedback, but with love and like yeah. true intention versus yeah. just being like, Oh, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you could, I mean, after a while you could see like when somebody's just genuinely like, with the shit you know what i'm saying like they're genuinely Mm. about what you're about versus like oh this person's obviously just yeah here for here for clout or like trying to 
Yeah. You know, just rub elbows with you for the sake of it. Right, right. Rub off of your achievements. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, there's, you know, there's two types of people out here. There's people that are shooting for greatness, that are, like, Mm -hmm. trying to do something great. And then there's people that want to be attached to greatness. Hmm. Hmm, yeah. How do you tell apart those people, though? I mean, it it just comes with being tested, you know? Like... If somebody's willing to be in the trenches with you, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody's willing to, to be there through every step of the process, right. even on the shitty days where things are overwhelming, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? If they're handling that, that means something. Yeah. Like that means that means that person's really like down yeah you know what i'm saying whereas if if the shit is hitting the fan and and things aren't looking up and all you're hearing from this person is is crickets every time then Hmm. chances are Mm. you know they're what you would consider like a fair weather friend you know what i'm saying (laughs) i like that fair weather friend wow yeah it's a nice uh, short story title, Fair Weather Friend. Yeah. Also, I think it's the name of a Queens of the Stone Age song. Oh, okay. Don't Shit. Me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. All right. Now, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot too, but kind of like from the other side of it, because I have this tendency to get, um, like, I care too much, mm-hmm. you know, like I give a shit too much, and like it becomes for instance like this is just one example like last night i was hanging out with you know fellow comedian friends and one of my friends she's trying to quit smoking pot and this is a habit that she's had for 10 years so it's very hard for her right and she has very legitimate reasons for doing it it's like she wants to reduce her anxiety and paranoia she wants to uh get more motivated, you know, stay on top of her shit. And um, she wants to be less forgetful, you know, like she wants to level up in her career and like good things are happening. So she wants to level up. And I was like, okay, yeah. Like, you know, if you want to quit pot, like that's a big step for you. I support you. And then last night I see her with another friend and he's like giving her pot. Right. And I'm like, bro, like what the f- like stop enabling her. Right. But then, that's her choice. That's her lot. That's her decision. You know, that's her, you know, way of like, she's still in the process. Like it's hard to give up a 10 year habit like that overnight, you know? So it's like, I have to just kind of be like, okay, like, you know, she can do whatever she wants. Like this doesn't mean that she's not quitting or not in the process of quitting, you know, but in the moment, it was just like hard for me to like, not feel involved you know what i mean because it was just happening in front of me with people i know and you know i had to like catch myself and then just turn back to her and be like you know what man like yeah if you want to smoke a joint like yeah you deserve it like go ahead you know don't don't worry about me like there's no judgment from my end you know what i mean but yeah trying to like kind of reel reel back that that over caring you know, because 
again, at the end of the day, like she's her own person. She's an adult. Those are her own choices. And, you know, me standing on the sidelines being like, you know, uh, you said you weren't going to do it. Why are you doing that? I, I just feel like that would stress her out more. And yeah. So I had to kind of, you know, do the opposite, like not offer too much feedback. We'll see. And that's what makes, that's what makes being that friend hard. That's why I respect people who would like, and I'm not saying you did the wrong thing by any means, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. uh, Cause I don't know this person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know their situation. Hell, I don't even know if they told the person that gave them the pot, like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. They know. know, But they were in the know. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, what separates what separates like the realist of the real from like the average person is just they don't have that like oh this i'm worried about this person being stressed out or upset over what i'm saying they just kind of come out and say it mm-hmm. like and that's not always not always the best thing but it definitely it definitely has a lot of value because Sometimes when you are, when you're so deep into like a habit, mm-hmm. something that you've been doing regularly for like 10 years, mm-hmm. sometimes it does take that person to be like, okay, you're about to smoke weed. But remember when you were like, hey, I don't want to smoke weed anymore because it does this, this, and this. You're at that crossroads right now. This is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, uh, a long-term thing is something you have to, it's a decision you have to make every day, every hour, every time it's in your face, you got to make that decision. So, yeah, I mean, I think that even say, you know, she did smoke the weed, that same anxiety and paranoia and all that shit that she was trying to avoid by not smoking is going to come back because that's just what weed does. Mm-hmm. So. Either way, she's going to feel that, whether it's you saying it to her or her saying it to herself. But, yeah, I think it, it would help if if she had somebody. And, again, I don't know this person, but I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, I guess, as a person mm. who's also quit habits. Uh, mm. To have that person be like, okay, this is what you want to do, but just know, just know that these are the consequences. Right. Same consequences you brought up to me. Mm-hmm. This is what you're putting on the line right now. If yeah. it's worth it to you, then by all means, light that shit. Right. Up. Yeah. It's. I think that's sort of why it becomes difficult to become friends as adults. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. where's the line? It's harder and harder to know as we become adults. And um, a lot of my comedian friends, like, you know, they're friends I made as an adult. And I think with, like, younger friends, like, friends I've known from in childhood, I have a little less boundaries with them, you know? And uh, I'll, like, call it out and let them know as, like, tell them how it is. But even with them nowadays, I find myself withholding a lot more, you know? And I think it's just because, like... Yeah, ultimately, I don't feel like what I have to say will change their minds. 
you know? I don't even want to be responsible like that, you know, for their for their decisions in their lives. Like, this is something I kind of stopped. Like, I told my a lot of my girlfriends to stop talking to me about their love problems. The reason why is because a lot of my girlfriends, all they do is complain about guys they're dating or guys they're married to or guys they're living with or guys they're seeing. All they do is complain. Like, and by the time I meet the guy, I just hate him. You know what I'm saying? I fucking hate that guy because I've been listening to hundreds of hours of this bitch talking shit about this guy. They've never said anything nice. They never said anything, you know, wholesome and sweet. They never said anything neutral. It was literally just complaining about this dude and they don't leave him. They're with him, you know? And I'm like, Hey, I don't want to hear your shit anymore. We can talk about other stuff, but I don't want to hear about your man anymore because all you do is talk shit about him and you just make me want to hate him. What if they're just trying to keep you from trying to fuck him? Oh my God. That's like not at all an issue. Imagine though, that is funny though. That is funny. Yeah, that maybe, right? He's horrible. Wink, wink. Yeah, don't suck his cock when I'm not around. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy though. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the time, a lot of the time when I find myself in situations like that, it comes to me that like, that person has very little self-awareness when it comes to, well, especially when it comes to relationships, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how is it, how is it that everybody you're with is just the worst? (laughs) How is it like, okay, if that is the case, what is it about you that not only attracts that energy, yeah accepts it yes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if let me tell you something if every time i got in my car yeah the fucking airbag deployed and hit me in the face <laughs> yeah i'd be one bus driving ass motherfucker i'd be on the yeah. bus i'd be on the train yeah. i'd be walking other alternative ways of being mobile yes yeah. uh-huh. i'd get another car uh-huh uh-huh. Like, exactly. I would exactly. figure out, like, okay, why am I driving this car every day? The exactly. car's obviously horrible to me. Exactly. But if, exactly. Glenn, you're, like, not getting the point. Like, <laughs> I'm talking about a person. I'm talking, you're talking about a fucking car. Yeah, a car Glenn. is not a person. <laughs> Glenn. Like, <laughs> It's just, I can't. Like, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this earlier. Where it's like, people are just getting into these relationships for the wrong reasons. And I feel like a lot of it is, it's so goddamn easy to survive now that we don't look at the things we're supposed to be looking at until it's way too late. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got a kid with this person who's a horrible parent. Mm-hmm. You were together for like two, three years. Mm-hmm. How do you not see the qualities in this person before that? It's like, yeah, we partied a lot. And now we have a kid together and they still want to party and do coke all weekend. But you also get, you also understand. It's like, 
we always have that moment, right? You meet somebody, let's say they're hot, whatever, you know, the, 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 the sex is good, whatever it is. Okay. It's, and you see the shitty qualities, you see it. You, of course you see it. It's there. It's happening. And you have a choice. Do you overlook it? Do you address it? Do you say, well, love is acceptance and, or do you leave them? Right? Like we have these choices, but more often than not, you know, people overlook it. They choose to overlook it. And then they, it keeps going. And then it's like, you've been with them for two, three years, get married, bust out a kid. You've been overlooking this since day one, but you knew that this was a fucking problem, right? Instead of talking to the motherfucker that you should be talking to about it, you go and bitch about it to your fucking girlfriends and drive them insane, right? That's what if ends I up were happening. I close my eyes right now, Grace. Yeah. I would imagine you just stress smoking a cigarette. Just the way you said that. Like, I, I know you're not. I know you're not. But if I were to close yeah. my eyes, the way you said that, like, mm-hmm. fucking. Yeah. I smoked. Like, I... <laughs> smoked I for nine fucking years. Yeah. And you know what? You know how I gave up that habit? I used to smoke cigarettes for nine years. I gave up that habit because I. I was asking my boyfriend at the time, I was like, hey, um, let me get a, a smoke. And he was like, oh, I only have two. I was like, perfect. One for you, one for me. He's like, no. And I was like, are you fucking serious? You're going to be that fucking cheap. You don't want to give your girlfriend a cigarette. We got into the biggest fucking fight over this, right? We got so ugly, screaming at each other, like in the middle of the street, crying. It was awful. And then I get home and I was just like, man, that was an ugly fight over a cigarette. I'm done smoking cigarettes. I'm done. And I never smoked a cigarette again. I was finished. And I had tried quitting multiple times before, but that fight did it. Gone. You know? And I quit drinking in a similar way. I just, I had an associate, like a negative association with it. You know, there was like this bitch who's like, you know, she's a, a, a an alcoholic. She's she's a, an addict, right? And she's also a comic and she's been stealing my jokes. Like she's been stealing my punchlines. And I was like, this bitch is forgetful. You know, she can't remember whether I said it or she said it. She can rationalize anything because she's an addict. I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. Reminds me of her. I don't be like her. Stop drinking alcohol. Never drank again since then. Done. Done with alcohol. You know? And like that's how I kind of quit my habits. I'm like, I associate it with something so negative and it just see like it's very apparent to me how it doesn't uh help me in any way. It becomes so obvious to me that I can't overlook it. <laughs> So it requires some clarity from from a person's end to quit habits, and that includes relationships, includes people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a lot of the things that keep these unhealthy habits going is uh, the acceptance of of things that you shouldn't accept. Mm. Like, for instance. Um, like I used to have, and I haven't really talked about this, which mm-hmm. is crazy because I'm like doing it on a podcast, like mm-hmm. it's hella public. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to have really, really bad social anxiety, mm-hmm. like really bad, to the point where I would go certain places and I would just shrink 
Hmm. So in order to unshrink, I'm like, well, I'm just going to have a couple drinks, mm -hmm. loosen up. And then one day I was like, why the fuck am I shrinking? Right. Like, why? And then once I figured that out, I'm like, well, I don't need to fucking drink anymore. Like, like I'll still, I'll still have like a glass of wine with dinner sure. like with my girl yeah. or something every once in a while. But yeah. for the most part, yeah, I don't really drink it. And because of that, also yeah. I quit smoking because mm. I would like to smoke when I drank. Yeah. And it was a combination of getting more into doing musical comedy and like mm -hmm. singing a lot more. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I really should be treating my voice better. Right. And, uh, yeah, but I actually quit smoking through using CBD buds. Ah. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, yes. I want to smoke, but I don't want to get high. Exactly. So mm -hmm. I I found this website. Mm -hmm. It's like this company from Oregon and mm -hmm. ship you this federally legal mm -hmm. hemp bud. It doesn't get you high. Yeah. It's, just, it's great. And the yeah. thing I noticed was. After a while, I was like, I don't fiend for someone yeah. to smoke anymore because yeah. the CBD doesn't have nicotine in it. Nicotine, right. that's what, and all the chemicals and shit, that's what makes it like, oh, I have to have another one. I have to have yes. another one. Well, yes, yes. You're not smoking anything with that in it. You smoke less. And then eventually, I just quit smoking that too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think none of that would have happened had I not just kind of sat down and just dug deep and be like, okay, what the fuck's really going on? Like I had to figure that shit out first. Yeah. How did you do that? Like the digging deep and figuring out what was making you shrink. How did you do that? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something I learned from uh, a therapist that I went to like, okay. Therapy. Yeah. Shit. Mm -hmm. It's probably been nine years or something. Mm-hmm. But mm -hmm. I went to a cognitive behavioral therapist for a mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. And she always told me, like, the way to work through issues that you have, like, you know, internal issues, mm. is a lot of the time you got these issues early on, like in your childhood. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of try to go back and just dig through all that shit and be like, okay, what was what was happening when I was growing up that kind of mm -hmm. led me mm -hmm. to, to think and feel this way and have right. it be so deeply ingrained in you. Right. You know, uh, mm -hmm. so I just kind of sat back and, and, and looked at that and being a kid who grew up where I grew up, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in, in, uh, in Wyandotte County, uh, mm. Kansas City, Kansas, like, mm -hmm predominantly black neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, high crime rate, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and therefore a lot of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, I was different than everybody. I was the mm. kid, I was the kid who, you know, had a really strict upbringing. Mm. So I was kept inside a lot. I was I in front of the TV more than I was out in the streets. Right. You know, my, my pops was like, Hey, you're not going to be like these other fucking kids out here in and mm -hmm. out of juvenile hall. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're mm -hmm. going to grow up and be in and out of jail. No, no, mm -hmm. no. You're going to be in the house. You're going to study. Mm. You're going to take up a instrument or something. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I'm thankful for that. But yeah. at the same time, as a kid, you wanna you wanna fit in. Right. You don't want to be the outcast. You don't want to be the oddball. But right. That's just kind of how I grew up. Right. You know, like they, a lot of the kids around me picked on me. They bullied me. Shit like mm-hmm. that. Like, eventually, you know, like once, like I had, like relatives and shit move into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And older cousins, they'd kind of yeah. like stick up for me and stuff. Cause I was right. a smaller kid too. Right. But right. uh. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of that came from that. Just got it. The anxiety around being around my peer group came yeah. from being picked on as a kid for yeah. being different. Yeah, it fucks with your self-esteem. Yeah, yeah. But then you fast forward, you know, damn near thirty years later, and I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, um, I'm a dope ass performer. I'm creative as fuck. I'm tall. I'm good looking. Why the fuck am I shrinking around these people? Exactly. Yeah. Living in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's okay to it's okay to acknowledge those things. You know. Yes. I used to see it. I used to see it as like a bad thing. Mm. Like, oh no, I'm just little old me. Like, no, fuck right. that. Own it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it was real. It was a part of you. And accepting that that past is part of accepting yourself and who you are and how you came to be. Um, and what instrument did you start playing when you were a kid? Uh, the first instrument I really, really got serious with was the trombone. Wow. And I started playing that fifth grade. Wow. But before that, actually taught myself how to play the clarinet when i was like eight wow because my sister was like one of those kids that took band for like a year okay just quit yeah but mm-hmm. she still had the clarinet and one mm-hmm. day i was bored yep and i was like oh, i'm gonna figure out how to put this thing together yes yes so you just had a knack for it yeah you gravitated towards music understood it well understood instruments and they're wind instruments too it's fascinating because, mm-hmm. you know, on stage, I see you play ukulele, guitar. Yeah, believe it or not, that's just a tiny guitar. I've never owned a ukulele. It's a, ti- it's a small guitar, like a baby guitar. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it when you play it. I love your songs. They're hilarious. Oh, thank you. Thank you. They're really great. They're really, really great. Did you work on an album, like a comedy album? So I'm about to release a... Uh, a four-track EP of comedy hip-hop songs. Nice. And they're all about food. <laughs> yes. All of them. Like, I'm not even vegan, but I wrote a vegan song. Yeah. Just because I was like, it, that's how the whole thing started. I was like, would it be hilarious if I just wrote a song, like, like a hard-ass rap song? <laughs> but, about eating vegetables <laughs> and avoiding dairy and all that shit yeah yeah i was like i'm doing it i'm fucking i'm doing it and i uh <laughs> i did that one and just kind of it just kind of sat in the can for a little bit like i put it out but hmm. i didn't do anything else and then after yeah. a while, i was like i should write other food songs yeah 
So I did, and now it's coming out uh, on the 10th, September 10th, 2021. Is Beautiful. What's the title of the album? Platforms. We eating out here. <laughs> yes. And, that's uh, beautiful mm. yeah and so i have like an alter ego i don't even really call him an alter ego but my rap name is g rilla g g space r i l l a h uh-huh uh and yeah i've also put out some other songs under g rilla as well but that's like my hip-hop persona it's either songs about just being honest about my financial situation mm-hmm. or food, which <laughs> I mean, that's really, if you want to get to know me, just those two things. Yeah. Money and food. <laughs> yeah. Basically. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I noticed that, you know, you were producing tracks and stuff as well, like starting the pandemic, I think. And I was like, yes, because I hear that that is like a big step for, you know, musical artists, like when they decide to produce their own shit, it's like kind of a, a leap. I have a friend, maybe you know her, Jin Kim. She used to be in the L.A. comedy scene, but she quit comedy and she moved to New York, started doing music. And, you know, when she, and she's a great singer. Um, but when she was making her music, like she always hired like a like a white guy producer, you know, and she was like i'm getting sick of this like i want to produce i was like produce it produce your own shit and she was like i'm scared though i was like oh is it very very different she's like yeah it's like there's a little bit of fear there i was like okay but you know six seven months later she was producing her own shit you know and i was like good for you that's badass yeah it's it's one of those things that like you once you get into it Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah it's like making your own clothes like who the fuck knows your body yeah better than you do right you're like oh of course yes and you can still produce for other people too right when you're producing your own stuff it's kind of like how we were talking about the conversation, like the about the uh, the people cooking the food mm-hmm. and waking up at four a.m. to make everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can produce for yourself, it makes your your final product like that much more special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? But I mean, not everybody's got the patience to do it. Ah. especially coming over from being just a straight up artist right and you want to just all right have the beat ready you know what right. I'm saying? or have the just arrive mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 uh rather than going through that painful process of mm-hmm. learning how to fucking start a track and pro tools and, and right all that stuff like it, it's tedious but yes if you're obsessed with it then yeah, you're going to look up six, seven months later and I'm like, holy shit, I've made some real progress. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's well worth it. Yeah. I like that. Like, like I carry a recording studio with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, this thing. 
my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Like I had mm-hmm. this is my notepad for yeah. writing down song ideas, and then I also have obviously like my actual recording studio studio that is also kind of portable. And then in my room, I have like a makeshift recording booth for like yeah. tracking vocals and stuff. Yeah. So to always have that world within reach I can tap into, uh, I think is, is a huge, huge game changer. It is. I think it's awesome that like in our time right now, like the, the times we live in presently, we're able to do that, you know, because like, you and I are the same age. We're both born in 87. And like when we were kids, we were like downloading music from like Napster and LimeWire and shit, right? 12 hours to download a song. Like literally 16 hours so I could listen to Mariah Carey singing Always Be My Baby. You know what I mean? And yeah. now we can sit in our fucking closets or wherever, or we could carry around a phone, you know, make music on the go, you know, on the fly. It's like whole new era, right? Whole new world. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty dope. And- yeah, and not only that, but make commercial quality music yes. with it too. Yes. Like motherfuckers are winning Grammys. Yeah. Albums that were produced in a bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. If you went back if you went back to the eighties and told someone that, they'd be like, Listen, I'm not on that much coverage, right? <laughs> You're out of your fucking mind. There's no fucking way. There's no way. There's no way you can do it. There's no way. Rock and roll. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. They needed so many people, right? They needed a whole team to like put down one track. And it's like, it's not like that. Literally one person is the team now, you know, doing everything. It's possible. It's wild. Yeah, and it, like, it's pretty great. Yeah. For, for my producer brand, which is also a different name, DJ Snug, uh, the... <laughs> So Snug was my it's my like childhood name I grew mm. up with with my family and DJ mm-hmm. DJ uh, that was my nephew's nickname so I mm. combined the two mm-hmm. and uh, yeah with that like obviously I make the beats on my computer mm-hmm. and then when I upload them to like my beat store and YouTube and stuff like that yeah I make the cover art in my phone right. Upload that shit to the cloud. Yep. Then from my computer, take the cover art, mm-hmm. match it with the MP3. Bam, I got a YouTube video. Upload the there. other one for the beat yeah. store. Like, I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm like, this is so crazy, the world we're living in now, where you could just download an app. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. you're not a graphic designer, <laughs> but here's how you can fucking <laughs> yeah. make your own art with a couple clicks. Yeah, yeah. We sound like old geezers now because, like, fucking, you know, Gen Zers are like, what? What does that mean? Yeah, it's like, this is just, to them, it's just like a given. But for us, it's like, no, like, this shit is mind blowing, you know? <laughs> like, back yeah. then, we had to, like, you, do you remember, like, the CD cases? You know, like, when you tinker with it, you could get all the labels out and you could put in your own sleeve. And I used to do that. Like, I used to burn my own, like, you know, music onto not music like a playlist right and then i would like cut out construction paper whatever and like put it through the case and like make my own little thing like they don't understand like it was very fucking you know archaic and hands-on like that yeah 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 yeah. like 
we had we had some next level shit. Like my dad has always been into technology. Uh huh. Like he was the first person in our family, actually the first person I ever met, period, or knew ever, that had a CD changer in their house. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? He's like, yeah, I can put ten CDs in it. Yeah. And just switch from CD to CD, and it's like from your car box in your trunk. In your and trunk, you put yeah. Put ten CDs in. <laughs> I'm just trying to get past the concept of a CD. I'm like, wait a minute. You can just hit a button and just skip to the next song. That's crazy. You don't have to fast forward the tape. (laughs) Yeah. So he bought the very first, like one of the very first, like commercially available CD burners. It was made by Pioneer. Mm. It was was huge. Yeah. Enormous. So big. Yeah. And you could put three CDs in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like switch, like select tracks from each CD and make like custom playlists. And then there was a program by uh, Memorex uh-huh. where you could make actual stick-on CD labels. Yes, had like special paper and right. all that stuff. Uh huh. Like little like labels for the jewel case. All yeah. So yeah. As soon as all that stuff came out, yeah, we went to Best Buy. Uh huh. Got all that shit. So I could make like my friends and, you know, my, yeah. myself, like custom playlists and type out the tracks on it. Yeah. My favorite thing to do was to just put little random shit in the tracks. Uh huh. And wait for people to notice. Like uh-huh. I burned my uncle a TikTok <laughs> playlist. Uh-huh. And uh, I put, you know, there's a song called They Don't Give a Fuck About Us. Uh huh. I put featuring Kirk Franklin, like the gospel singer. <laughs> he was like, what the fuck? Ain't no goddamn Kirk Franklin on Just throw I it in. Just, yeah, Sneak it I in. Like, yeah, or like, uh, you know, I was a metalhead growing up. So, mm. I mean, I still am, but yeah. I will like burn my friends, you know, like kill switch engage CDs yeah. and stuff like that. But I'll put like a fucking random ass like Britney Spears song <laughs> or something in the middle of it. Just like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you were you were a comic like forever since you were a kid. Prankster. Oh, yeah. I've always I've always been silly. Yeah. I've always been like I grew up around silly people. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just always been in me. Uh, and I've always been musical as well. Yeah. So it was only a matter of time before I just sort of merged the two worlds together. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And now you are Glenn Bolton, G. Rilla, right? Fucking living in Hollywood. DJ Snack, <laughs> living in Hollywood, yeah. doing his thing. Let's get into yeah. some flashcard questions. I have some flashcard okay. questions based on a TV show. All you have to do is just answer them how, however you would answer them, whatever whatever you want to say. The The show I'm talking about today is called uh, Dear My Friends. It's a show that came out a few years ago. And it, it stars a lot of like old school Korean actors. Like these motherfuckers are in their 80s. Okay. One of them, she actually won an Oscar this past year. Um, Yoon Ye Jung. She won it for the film Minari. 
she played the grandma in this film and, and she won an Oscar, which is a big deal because South Korea's never won a Best Actress Oscar before. So it was a big deal for South Korea. And she's in this show, Dear My Friends. Um, but it was it was really a delight to see like old school, like they're literally almost a hundred years old, right? Like they've been since the beginning of Korean television right like these are these actors and like they're veterans and they're all in this show together and it's about like aging and what happens when you're older and you know you develop alzheimer's when your children are being shits and da 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 da, da. you know it's 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 about that so mm-hmm. all right so let's say you're a woman in her 60s named nanhi and you're a single mother who raised your daughter one on your own raised her all by yourself and your daughter is in her late 30s now, and she's a pretty successful translator and a writer, okay? The reason why you're single, though, is because you caught your husband banging some other lady, all right? She just walked in, and he was just going at it with some other chick. So you have a deep disdain for unfaithful men. Just anybody who is unfaithful in their marriage, you, you detest them, okay? But one day, your best friend, Chungnam, she tells you that your daughter Wan is having an affair with a married man. What do you do? Do they have dispensaries in South Korea? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay, I can't just like roll up a fucking a backwood. I can't. <laughs> you could probably find somebody. Yeah, you could find weed if you look like, for it in Korea. Like, you know, I knew she was just like her goddamn daddy. <laughs> I knew it. She looked like him. She got that motherfucker's forehead. She got his forehead. Don't ask me why I'm talking like this. God damn it. I'm stressed. Okay. <laughs> That'd be the first thing I would do. And then I would mm. just sit and I would reflect. I would just, mm. you know, because sometimes when shit like that happens, you gotta you gotta confront some really 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 uncomfortable truths right and that's the first place i would go mm-hmm. after you smoke a j also, yeah and then and then also i'd be like look okay this is the point of my life where i realize my kid's not a perfect person ah. and that's okay wow radical acceptance yeah, that's something that's something a lot of people struggle with. Right. That's something a lot of people struggle with. Like, yo, your kid is a human. Yeah. They're a human. You love them more than anything, but they're still yeah. imperfect. Yeah. Because yeah. they're people. Exactly. We're all yeah. people. We're a lot of fuck up. They're a lot of fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful answer. Okay. All right. Second question. Let's say you're an elderly man named Hakyun, okay? You're an elderly man. You have three daughters, three grown daughters. The eldest daughter was an adoptee, okay? Her name's Sunyoung. Sunyoung is married to a professor, which is like a big deal in Korea. And you and Sunyoung have a very fraught relationship because when she was in middle school, she came to your workplace crying in her little school bag, telling you, that she was molested by your boss's son. And in response, you screamed at Sunyoung for dressing like a slut. And she told you that she wore pants and she went away crying. 
So your relationship to your eldest daughter, Sunyang, was never the same since, for obvious reasons. You find out, okay, you find out from your wife that your daughter has been getting beaten to a pulp every single week by her deadbeat, not deadbeat, her professor husband, her successful, rich professor husband, who shamed your daughter for having been molested as a child. What do you do? Well, I mean, I wish, I wish uh, you could have asked this old man the question uh, way before any of this shit happened. Mm. Uh, but now that all this shit has happened, mm. I mean, fuck, like that's assuming that I would have handled it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, it is assuming that you would have handled it. It's assuming that you are this character. Yeah, uh, that's a, I mean, shit, that's a tough one. It's a heavy like, one. I think at that point, that person realizes, holy fuck, I've been, I've been emotionally absent mm. and, and spiritually absent at mm-hmm. a time where I was needed. Mm-hmm. I've put, I've put the wrong things. Right in first place Mm -hmm. like oh well if if i'm making money right i'm feeding you and you have all the nicest things and you're Mm -hmm. going to a private school Mm -hmm. and all this shit you shouldn't have anything else to fucking worry about anything bad that happens to you is your fault it's a really Mm -hmm. piss poor mentality Mm -hmm. uh and i think someone that did experience that would just they'd fucking fall apart. They'd be crushed once they realized, holy fuck, like mm-hmm. this entire time I've been a horrible father. Mm. And that's shit you can't take back. You can't get into a time machine and just right. undo it. Mm-hmm. You know, so first I think you would have to sort of process that and have a sit down with your daughter and mm. just understand that there's a chance that you can just pour your fucking heart out and apologize and there's still a chance that she's not going to forgive you and you have right. to prepare yourself for that right yeah yeah got to got to confront your fears yeah which includes the potential of non-forgiveness from your daughter. Mm, some real shit. You know, a lot of uh, South Korean elderly men go through this. You know, they you know they're all they were all militarized in Korea. Like South Korea, you all, all have to serve in the military. It's a requirement, and that military experience, which lasts about two years, it really hards up a man. It's like going to prison. Yeah. You know, really hardens them up, and they come out and they're older. They're a man now, and they're ready to now have a family they're usually they're usually like women that have been waiting for them like ah, oh, wait for you come back they get married have kids and that part of them that was humane that was human is either removed or hardened up so they have difficulty you know coming back into a human existence and if you add on top of that poverty right uh long you know years of suffering uh war all that shit it's like Oof, it's almost impossible. That communication development is like, 
Yeah. So there are a lot of elderly oh, yeah. men going through this in Korea, I think. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's a it's a kind of a crazy double-edged sword, right? Because on one hand, South Korea's got, from my understanding, one hell of a military. Like, these dudes are serious. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a story. Well, I mean, this really happened, but... I think it was something like 250 South Korean Marines took out like 10,000 Viet Cong or some shit. They like they stayed up fighting for like a, like two days straight or something crazy like that. Hmm. So as far as an effective fighting force, mm-hmm. great. But like you were saying, how do we take that mentality and help it adjust, like readjust to civilian life? Yeah. Being a, a loving husband, being a loving father after you murdered all these fucking people. Okay. Right? Yeah, because at this point, even like from the, let's say, the middle of the 20th century on, it's a very small period of time mm-hmm. in comparison to how long humans have been around, right? Mm-hmm. But just in that very small window of time, life has become so, so easy, mm-hmm. so easy to survive, especially mm-hmm. in a place like South Korea, which is like a developed country, mm-hmm. or a place like the U.S., which is a developed country. Mm-hmm. The the gap between how real shit can get. And then how the average person lives is so big. Right. It's so big. Whereas if you go back a hundred years ago, right. it's way closer. Yep. I mean shit, if you wanna have if you wanna have steak a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, you gotta go fucking slaughter a cow <laughs> yeah. yourself. You have to do that yourself. <laughs> yeah. You gotta worry about fucking like especially if you lived in this part of the country. Back in the 1800s, this is the Wild West. Right. Literally the Wild You had to worry you could literally about die. and Yeah. Like, there was real danger outside yeah. your door every yep. fucking day. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fast forward now, it's like, okay, I live in West Hollywood. The right. line at Gelson's is gone. <laughs> ah, what am I going to do? I got to be at a meeting in 30 uh, minutes. Yeah, just like, get my Kobe beef out. steak ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. all the steps between so what I'm what I'm getting at is Yeah. Men evolved to be providers and be protectors, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the successful men, the men who get to pass their genes mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. have to prove mm-hmm. that they can handle themselves in the face of danger. That they can provide, they can go out and literally kill an animal and bring you back the meat. Mm-hmm. So when the male physiology is subjected to that, something like war and military experience and shit like that and combat, they're sort of being put in their optimal physiological state. Mm-hmm. So how the fuck do you turn that switch off to just be like, mm-hmm. okay, go back to living this weird unnaturally comfortable life right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how do you do that right yeah essentially going to war is like kind of what we're wired to do mm-hmm. 
we don't have to do that anymore as far as like you know um living in a village and like a tribe and having to worry about invading tribes constantly and stuff like that it's more like oh our country is going to war with another country i'm gonna put on a uniform i'm gonna be formally trained Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying it's not like i have to worry about an invading army coming to fight me on melrose i don't like that's not right close to my everyday life so yeah how how do you how do you fix that yeah i mean you're basically asking what do these people do with ptsd (laughs) yeah because that's what ptsd is yeah ptsd isn't ptsd when you're at war that's just survival instinct after ptsd is ptsd when you're safe again yeah exactly you're still running from the sounds of gunfire yeah running from the sounds of bombs Mm -hmm. running from running from something that feels similar to a threat to your survival like it's you you're a working class man you work at a factory your boss your boss's son molested your daughter and if you go and talk back to your boss's son you might get your you know job removed and you might not have any fucking money to bring home and feed your kid and wife and that probably feels just as dangerous as a gun to your head if you have that much pressure on you right if there's no food at home no money in the bank and you're literally you know living from hand to mouth and it's like does that require this level of anger and rage and am i directing it at the right person by calling my middle school daughter a slut and screaming at her after she's been abused right and so all this misfiring is again it's a result of ptsd i'm glad you bring it up because it's easy for us to just kind of dismiss that as like toxic masculinity right it is on the one hand it is but you know there's a reason for everything there's a reason for everything. And if we're human, it takes time for us to figure out what those reasonings are. And then asking ourselves, well, are we ready to, like you say, accept, right? Accept and see. Yeah. 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 I think, and also like the term toxic masculine, like that one, that one kind of fucks me up because mm-hmm. you're associating you're you're associating toxic behavior mm-hmm. with masculinity, which mm-hmm. I don't think. Like, I think that actual masculinity is mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm. You know, I think masculinity should be cultivated. I think it should be encouraged because masculinity, in a large part, is how we got to this point. Mm. We didn't have strong men. Mm-hmm like all this shit was built and i'm not saying women had no part in in history and in mm-hmm. development civilization i'm saying like the physical like labor and mm-hmm. the wars and all that shit were fought mm-hmm. largely by men mm-hmm. right so all that survival shit i was talking about if you didn't have strong men in your area you're at way bigger risk like, but I feel like all that shit's being lost 
because our whole purpose is become obsolete. Like you don't need someone to fucking go out and kill a deer for you to feed you. Like you don't, you don't, as a matter of fact, people kind of look down on hunting, Hmm. you know, especially out here, like (laughs) it's frowned upon, you know, to own a gun. Yeah. 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 Or even, even just the act of killing an animal for food. Like that's, (laughs) that's literally right. Like, that's literally the thing that helps a man advance in hmm. life is having these traits. Like, for example, confidence. Mm-hmm. Confidence is a man's social and biological currency. A man without confidence is nothing. Like, it, you could be, you could be somebody who, you know, let's say you've got this bomb ass tech job and you're making $1.4 million a year. You got a Porsche, a nice house. But if you don't carry yourself with confidence, you're still not going to have a very fulfilling life. None of the relationships you have are going to be meaningful because the world does not respect a man that does not have confidence in himself. And it's not magic. It's because a confident man is going to kill the animal. A confident man is going to defend the village. If a man's thinking, you know, is being hesitant and and not sure of himself, that's going to get him killed. That's going to get the village killed we evolved with that but then it's weird because now now that none of that shit's necessary for day-to-day life it's just i don't know it's just you know there's people like a confident man i don't know i don't, I don't know why but it's just just kind of there i think the reason why terms like toxic masculinity are emerging though is similar to what you say it's like there was this uh need for that kind of male aggression right to go and be a hunter and to go and bring home the the deer carcass or whatever it is so that they could feed the family feed the town feed whatever but it's like no we we don't need that right i mean men have become how do i say in a way domesticated they're in offices now wearing white collar you know shirts and living that white collar life like that is considered like now power money living like being in a high-rise building sitting in a fucking bougie ass office you know and it's like where does that aggression end up going well it's like oh let me go bang my secretary she doesn't know any better she's 21 she has no money she'll suck my cock goes there infidelity ah fuck my wife fucking nagger ah fuck my kids you know my wife will take care of them right? The aggression ends up going somewhere else, you know? And yeah. yeah, And then that ends up being called toxic masculinity, right? It's not, but I do agree that to define all of masculinity as solely toxic is incorrect. I don't think that is correct. But when there are patterns of aggression where they, these aggressive and um, as you say, powerful men who have money and stronger strength use it 
in an abusive way to hurt individuals in society, like women, like children, like people who are who have less power and less strength, that's when this term toxic masculinity ends up coming. Yeah. I guess like I don't like the word masculinity even being associated with someone like that is what I'm yeah. saying. You know what I mean? I, like for sure. That's not yeah. masculine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not masculine at yeah. all. So yeah, and I think that having and you're right, like having a place to put that unused aggression is mm -hmm. so fucking important for men. Yeah. It's something that we need to start learning at a very early age as boys. Yeah. That's why I'm a big proponent of like martial arts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't I haven't been on a mat in years. I don't know if you yeah. saw me sit down, but I've got yeah. quite a little gut going here. But yeah. But no, like martial arts, that shit, I don't like I was thinking about this. I was yeah. thinking about this the other night. Yeah. Say I got two sons. Yeah. Right. One of them is just your classic alpha male, uh -huh. just all piss and vinegar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a jock. I uh -huh. wanna, yeah. I want to put him in martial arts to keep that shit in check. Mm. I want him to know, hey, you need to you need to use this shit wisely and you need to be humbled every day. Mm. You need mm -hmm. to be reminded every mm -hmm. day right. that there's consequences that comes along with the shit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And my other son, my other son mm -hmm. is very soft spoken. He's mm -hmm. very to himself, mm -hmm. very introverted. I want to put him in martial arts, too, mm -hmm. to teach him, hey, you're capable. Mm -hmm. All right. Like you're strong. You mm -hmm. can do this shit. You might not be the biggest kid in class. But you're made of something. Right. Mm -hmm. Giving him confidence. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, I was like, yeah, yeah, it works. And even let's say I have a daughter. Let me tell mm -hmm. you something. So, and I gotta, I gotta go after this, but I started training mixed martial arts in 2012, mm -hmm. like December, 2012. And I trained at a gym that, you know, uh, has a pretty, to this day, has a fucking, like, awesome squad there. Like, just dope. We're talking, like, people that fight in the UFC, work for the UFC, like, the highest of highest level. Coaches, mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. And among those people is a woman named Laura Sanko. Mm -hmm. She, I think she's, a, she's an analyst for ESPN now. Uh, fought at the smallest weight class in MMA, 105 pounds, tiny. I was literally two of this woman. And one day we're doing grappling, we're doing jujitsu. And uh, I'm having a drink on the side of the mat. I look up, everybody's already partnered up, except for Laura. So she's like, hey, do you want to roll with me? You want to grapple with me? Let's go around. And I'm like, okay. Now, in the back of my head, I'm terrified because I'm like, she's so small. I'm a big, clumsy, 210-pound dude. I don't want to make a crazy move or something and, like, accidentally hurt her or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just trying to be very ginger. Let me tell you something. When I say I couldn't do shit, mm -hmm. when I say I got my ass handed to me mm -hmm. 
as an understatement. You know why? Because I'm still going with somebody who'd been training probably for, I don't know, I'm just taking a wild guess, but five plus years Mm -hmm. at that point. So they're going to know way more about martial arts than me. And jujitsu especially is the epitome of like the size doesn't matter martial art. Because if a woman who probably weighs, I don't know, a buck ten maybe can beat a guy who's twice her size. Fuck, if I had a daughter, I'd put her in jujitsu too. Teach her that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's Mm -hmm. valuable because not only does it teach you self-defense, you know, you're also going to carry yourself better. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, you're not going to move through the world the same way. Right. You're going to feel empowered by your own abilities. And it seems to me like, you know, with uh, the things you do, like even with singing, right? Singing is like a form of breathing you know you have to breathe when you're singing right and jujitsu is also meditative like that any form of martial arts is meditative like that it's meditative and you're acquiring a sense of empowerment so it seems like you practice these exercises in order to maintain and to try and be a good man i think that's a good thing all right yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been really fun. This has been awesome. Uh, Thanks, Glenn.